well, I'd really love to give you a lecture about physics, uh, but I'm not going to because 10 minutes really isn't quite enough time. Um, a lot of people have been dispensing advice to you, and you've been getting a lot of really good advice uh, during this meeting. Uh, this morning, Michael Saylor told you, among other things, learn how to speak, learn how to write, learn how to think. What great advice. Um, this timer doesn't work. <laughs> so I'm going to use my own, starting now. <laughs> uh, whether you're in the arts or whether you're in the sciences, that is really good advice. General McDermott said, remember the spiritual lessons, the golden rule. It doesn't matter what kind of a field you're in, you will have the opportunity to treat people the way you would like to be treated. You will have the opportunity to treat people in other ways. And I hope you choose the former. You've been getting a lot of really good advice. In fact, some of the advice you've been getting has been contradictory, and even that advice has been good advice. How can that be? This evening, we're going to have a program at the National Cathedral entitled Voices of the American Dream. Well, each one of you has a dream. Each one of you will have to find your own voice to express that dream. And the path you follow will depend upon the kind of voice that you find for yourself. And that voice may change as you grow. Now, I've got a different kind of message for you today what I'm going to tell you is that all the advice you're hearing from very intelligent and very uh, wise people, that you should listen to it very carefully, but you should be very careful about how you listen to it, because not everything that everybody tells you is true. And I'd like to illustrate that with a story from uh, my own experience as a scientist. When uh, I was much younger than I am now, uh, but involved in the work of learning how to cool things to incredibly low temperatures, uh, what we were trying to do was we were trying to cool things using lasers. You know, lasers are wonderful. I got one here with me. You know, I can shine it up here. And, uh, uh, you know, usually when you think about lasers, especially powerful lasers, you think you shine uh, a laser on something and it gets hot. Well, we learned how to uh, shine lasers on things and make them cold, and we were really interested in finding out just how cold uh, things were. And we designed an experiment based on what we understood about how that worked. And that understanding was based on uh, a theory that had been worked out by other people that was very clear, very convincing, and everybody believed it. And we designed an experiment based on that theory to be able to measure temperatures that were as cold as people said it was possible to get, and up from that, because we knew that was the range in which we uh, had to deal with. So we designed this experiment, and in this experiment we would see something happen, and from that we would be able to tell what the temperature was, and we went to look for it, and we saw nothing. Nothing at all. Now, of course, the logical conclusion is we'd done something wrong. You know, we'd turned a switch off that should have been on or on that should have been off, and we checked all that out, and we spent weeks checking that out to make sure that we'd done everything right. And after we'd checked everything else out that we could think of, we started to think that maybe what we'd been told and what we believed was wrong. 
And then we redesigned the experiment based on the possibility that maybe what we'd been told was wrong, even though it was so clearly right that everybody believed it. And guess what? What we'd been told was wrong. It turned out that the temperature that we were measuring was much, much lower than the temperature that people told us we could get to. We eventually measured temperatures that were 100 times lower than what people thought was the lowest temperature you could get. I'm talking really cold temperatures. You know, the temperature of outer space is three degrees above absolute zero. We've gotten down to temperatures of a few billionths of a degree above absolute zero. And that was the beginning. The fact that what people told us was wrong and we could get a whole lot lower, and once we did that, we just kept going down and down and down. And there's still no end to how cold we're getting things. Now, you may wonder why we're interested in doing that. There's lots of good reasons, and I'll tell you. If you ask me, uh, I'm really excited about the kinds of things we're doing. But the message I want to give you here is that you shouldn't believe everything that everybody tells you, no matter how smart they are or how wise they appear. Most of the things that you have learned are right. But some of the things you have learned are wrong. And you don't know yet which ones are which. You have got to be prepared to change your ideas about even the most cherished principles if you have sufficient reason for doing so. And that's another point. You've got to have sufficient reason for changing your ideas about something that has been held strongly and for a long time. When we learned that the temperature was a whole lot lower than what everybody said it should be, we didn't just go ahead and tell everybody. We were too frightened to do that because, after all, everybody believed that the temperature couldn't be any lower than what had been said, and we were measuring something a whole lot lower. So what we did was we devised another three ways of measuring the temperature. And when they all gave the same answer, then we told people, and they still didn't believe us. But when a few other people made their own measurements and confirmed it, then people started to understand things were different from the way they thought, and it changed everything. And what I'm telling you is that there are going to be times in your life when you're going to have to make that same kind of leap, when you're going to have to give up something that you have believed, something that you've been told by people who are very smart and very wise, but turns out to be wrong. And this is a wonderful lesson, a very important lesson for anyone going into science, but I really think it's an important lesson for all of life, that you have to be ready to change the way you think about things when you have sufficient reason to do so. And that's about all I have to say right now. I think that uh, you, you students, have been incredible in the way you have reacted to the things you have been hearing. I have been so impressed at the questions you have asked. I was so impressed with the uh, lunch table conversation that I had uh, today with a, uh, a group of students, including my good friend Jason Green, uh, who's out there, and uh, uh, a bunch of friends that he made 
uh, and they were all at that, uh, that table and asking questions and giving opinions. And so, even though I'm not quite at the end of my eight minutes, I'd uh, like to stop here and uh, ask for your questions because I find you fascinating. <laughs> Hi, I'm Megan Reardon from Las Vegas. Um, you mentioned if we want to know why you want to get things so cold, we should ask. So why do you want to get things so cold? Well, the reason um, is that when things are hot, it means that the atoms and molecules are whizzing around really, really fast. Right. And when they're cold, it means they're going a lot more slowly. When they're going a lot more slowly, it's easier to make measurements on them. One of the measurements that we make on them is uh, measurements of time. It turns out that atoms are like little clocks. And uh, the best clocks are atomic clocks that, that use this property of atoms of being like little clocks. Well, imagine that the clock is flying across the room at the speed of light, speed of sound, I'm sorry, at the speed of sound and, and smashing into the wall. It might not be so easy to tell time that way. And that's the usual situation. We slow them down to a literal crawl. We slow the atoms down so they're moving at the speed that an ant crawls across the, uh, the floor. And it makes it a lot easier to tell what time it is and a whole new generation of clocks are being made based on atoms that have been cooled by the techniques that we learned to do. Thank you. Do you think you'll ever be able to measure the speed and location of an electron at the same time if you um, cool an atom to near absolute zero? Uh, the, the, your, your question expresses um, doubt about Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, which yeah. tells us that we cannot measure both the position and the velocity of something at the same time. And the answer to your question is no, I do not believe we will be able to uh, measure both the, uh, the, the speed and velocity of anything uh, with um, uh, perfect uh, precision at the same time. And in fact, we have evidence of that, that in fact things work exactly the way uh, Heisenberg had predicted, when we get things really, really cold, they get really, really big. And that means we can't know where they are. That is, when I say they get really, really big, I mean the uncertainty in where they are increases. And we see that just beautifully. It works out just the way Heisenberg said. And the closer we get to absolute zero, the wider the, the range over which this uh, the, the probability of finding our atoms is. So it works just the way it's expected to. We got one more person. Yeah. Okay. This is a non-technical question, but um, you gave advice saying that, you know, you shouldn't listen to everything that everyone tells you, like be prepared. Oh, you should listen. You just well, shouldn't believe we'll just it. Well, just say you can't exactly <laughs> believe them. And um, you, like you um, gave your example, in your case, like people said that was the coldest you could ever go. Do you have any advice about like how to deal with the situation where something you hear, hear or something you learn like totally upsets like all foundation of knowledge and like, you know, changes the way you look at things? Yeah, well, the way we dealt with it was to, um, to solidify our, uh, our evidence. And for science, I think that's something that, that works in a clear way. That is, if it's a scientific question and uh, you've found out that things are different from what has been the, uh, the scientific uh, general understanding, then you can uh, appeal to nature. I mean, nature works the way it works. And if the scientific description that has been accepted is wrong, then that means it doesn't describe the way nature really works. And you've got to accumulate the evidence that that's so. Now, for uh, other areas, 
for example, let's say literary criticism, uh, the answers are not so clear. Uh, and so uh, you can't appeal to a, uh, uh, an arbiter like nature to tell you what is right and what is wrong about something uh, like your opinion about uh, Hamlet. Uh, so if you are going to express an opinion about Hamlet that is very different from the, uh, the standard ones, but I guess so many opinions about Hamlet have been expressed over the years, there probably isn't anything that is so outside of the canon uh, that it would shock anyone, but just as an example, you're going to have to argue your case well and eloquently. Uh, and uh, I, I'm not sure that I have any other uh, advice, if you feel strongly about it, if you've got good reason, and that's the point. If you're going to give up a cherished belief, you've got to have a good reason. If you've got that good reason, express it clearly and repeatedly. <laughs>